Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, what is God's ultimate goal when it comes to sexuality? How have past secular philosophies distorted our views about sexuality? And why is identity such a big deal? Where do we get our identity? Is our identity the result of our sexual desires? What is biblical sexuality and why is this such a big deal? What about same-sex marriage? What about transgenderism? What about all these issues? How can we live the way God wants us to live? And why would God want us to restrict sexual activity to just inside the marriage of a man and a woman? Well, there's probably no better person to talk about this than Dr. Christopher Yuan. Christopher is the author of the book, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, and many other books. And he's got a brand new resource that has answers to the questions that I just mentioned and several others. Uh, in fact, it's a new video resource that you need to avail yourselves of, particularly if you're a parent or a grandparent and you want to be prepared for the issues that your kids and grandkids are ultimately going to have to deal with if they're not deal with them, dealing with them already. Ladies and gentlemen, your children are either going to be discipled by you or discipled by the iPhone. Uh, they're definitely being discipled by the iPhone. What about you? Are you prepared to deal with these issues of sexuality that are rampant in our culture everywhere? Well, Dr. Yuhan has joined us to talk about this new Holy Sexuality Project and what's in it and how it can benefit you and your family. But before we get into that, you have to know Christopher's story because he's uniquely qualified to deal with this issue. Christopher, can you just kind of give a background of your life and how you got to where you are right now? Yeah, th Frank, thanks so much for having me on. You know, I, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I wrestled with my sexuality from a young age. This I came out of the closet. I'm originally from Chicago. I came out when I was going to dental school in Louisville, Kentucky. And actually, that was what brought my mother to faith. And then eventually, my father did as well. I went the total opposite direction. I unfortunately was doing what all my other friends were doing, which was have fun, party. And I was not only going out to the clubs, I was doing drugs, and I was actually also selling drugs. This whole time, my parents didn't know that I was doing any of that. Um, but three months before I was received my doctorate, the administration of the school expelled me. So I moved from Louisville, Kentucky to Atlanta, Georgia. And there I kept doing what I knew how to do best, live it up, have fun. And I was not only supplying, uh, selling drugs, but I also was supplying drugs. Well, you know, my parents didn't know that I was doing drugs, but they knew my biggest need was know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. They tried to reach out to me. They came to visit me one time, told him to get out. Before my dad left, he gave me his Bible. I took my dad's Bible and I threw it in the trash can. That's how much I despise God. Well, my parents knew that I was just hopeless, 
but they committed not to focus upon hopelessness, but upon the promises of God. And along with over a hundred prayer warriors, they began to cry out to God for me. My mom began to pray a bold prayer, which was, God, do whatever it takes to bring this prodigal son to you. She fasted every Monday for seven years and once fasted 39 days on my behalf. She spent hours every morning in a prayer closet interceding for me and just praying for a miracle. Well, this miracle, as we know, God is a miracle-working God. This miracle came with a bang on my door, opened up my door, and on my doorstep were 12 federal drug enforcement agents, Atlanta police, and two big German shepherd dogs. I received this large shipment of drugs that confiscated my money, my drugs, and I was charged with a street value equivalent of 9.1 tons of marijuana. So I was facing 10 years to life in federal prison. I started with a bright future among society's finest in academia, and I found myself in the ditch among society's despised in Atlanta City Detention Center. So tried calling home, dreading making that phone call. I mean, Frank, who wants to call their parents from home? I was just expecting this earful, and my mom's first words were, are you okay? No condemnation, no berating words, just words of unconditional love and grace. A few days after that, I was walking around the cell block, passed by this garbage can, and I, I thought, this is my life. I was about to pass it by. Something on top of the trash caught my eye. Bent over, picked it up. It was a Gideon's New Testament. Took it back to my cell, and, you know, there could have been any verse, you know, and, and, you know, anything on top of that trash, but God used the, that book, you know, with that, I at first thought, you know, this is not, you know, I didn't, I wasn't thinking this is going to be the answer, but I had tons of time on my hands, and I began reading it, and we know God's Word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, began to convict me of my sin, and I thought, this is not good news. A few days after that, I was um, called to the nurse's office and I received the news that I was HIV positive. So a few days after that, I was laying in my cell and I look up at the cold metal bunk above me and somebody had scribbled, if you're bored, read Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. <laughs> there could have been any verse on that bunk, but God used that verse written by a prophet thousands of years ago to a rebellious nation, Judah, to tell me that if God could have a plan for Judah in exile and rebellion, he could still have a plan for me. I didn't know where that plan was going to take me. He gave me enough faith, strength to get through that one day, the next, and the next. My transformation was gradual. God was convicting me of my idols, obviously drugs. Within a few months, he delivered me from that addiction. But God kept bringing to mind other idols. And there was one that I felt like I just couldn't let go of, my sexuality. Went to a chaplain, shared him my opinion, before his, his opinion on this. And to my surprise, he told me the Bible does not condemn homosexuality. He gave me a book. And I thought, great, now I can finally have biblical justification. I had that book in one hand in the Bible and everything inside of me wanted to affirm what that book is claiming. But it was God's indwelling Holy Spirit that convicted me that those assertions were a clear distortion of God and his word. I couldn't finish that book, gave it back to the chaplain, which meant I turned to the Bible alone. I went through every verse looking for a justification, and I couldn't find any. 
So I was at this turning point, either abandon God and his word, live as a gay man, pursue a monogamous same-sex relationship by allowing my attractions to dictate not only who I was, but how I lived, or abandon pursuing that and live as a follower of Jesus Christ. By God's grace, I followed Jesus. The days and the months of abstinence passed, and I thought, my sexuality should not be the core of who I am. I told myself before, God loves me unconditionally. That's true. But as sinners, we want to add to God's truth. And I add this, though, therefore, he doesn't want you to change. But I realize now, after reading the Bible, that unconditional love is not the same thing as unconditional approval of our behavior. My identity should not be defined by my sexuality. It is not gay, ex-gay, or even heterosexual for that matter. My identity as a child of the living God must be in Jesus Christ alone. God says, be holy for I am holy. I thought to become a Christian, I had to become a heterosexual. But I realized even people who have opposite such attractions still need to flee temptation and resist sin. So heterosexuality doesn't go far enough. The opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality, but the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. God wants to sanctify not just our sexual desires, but all of our desires, all our sin struggles need to be mortified by the power of the Holy Spirit. So this whole process, while I was in prison, um, God began to convict me. He actually called me to full-time ministry, and I went to, uh, got out of prison, went to Bible college, and then went on to get uh, my master's and doctorate. Well, that's Dr. Christopher Yuan, ladies and gentlemen. He's going to be with us the entire program. We're just getting started. What a story. And you're going to see there's a great resource that you can get that will help young people with this issue. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist back in two minutes. If you're low on the FM dial looking for national public radio, go no further. You will never hear this on NPR. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek, on the American Family Radio Network. My guest today is Dr. Christopher Yuhan, Y-U-A-N. His book, Holy Sexuality in the Gospel, is a book you need to avail yourself of, but also a new video curriculum we'll tell you about here in just a minute. And uh, Christopher, just before the break, you were talking about your testimony. You were involved in the gay lifestyle. You actually started using and selling drugs. You went to prison. Your mother unbelievably (laughs) prayed for you and fasted for you for seven years. Uh, What year did all this happen? How long were you in prison? And uh, what happened when you got out? Yeah, I was... I, I I came out it, when it was 1992. Um, I was actually like prison started end of 98, beginning of 99. And so I was in prison all the way till 2001. I was released. Um, and just it's just so it's the whole the whole thing. I mean, even when I look at it, it's just so amazing how I ended prison dead in my sins and I came out alive in Christ. I mean, there's mm. and which is also significant. Um, you know, I used to go by Chris. And it was so significant for me, you know, when you walk out of prison, you got to sign your name and, you know, you got to sign your full name. And even though I always went by Chris, all my gay friends, the whole gay community, you know, when I was doing kind of production and all these parties and stuff, I went by Chris Yuan. And when I signed my name, Christopher, and I realized and I learned before that what that meant, Christ bear, I was like, 
I'm going to go by Christopher now. And so it's even just to hear my name. It's a reminder of who God created me. My mom gave me that name. She was not even a Christian. I mean, just mm. you know, how amazing is that? Christ bearer. Um, so anyway, that was in 2001. Um, and I got out of prison July of 2001, released from the Federal Bureau of Prisons. And I started the very, ne- very next month in August, which again, I mean, how, how could that happen? From prison to Bible college, uh, just one month. And I always joke, you know, um, just imagine the surprise of my classmates when I answered their question, what did you do this summer? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, I got out of prison. Yeah. For one. What did you do you this like, summer? Should you, even, should you even be in here? What, <laughs> what are you doing? Now, personally, uh, how, I mean, you're you're sort of one of the, the few go-to people within the Christian community that the Christian community mm-hmm. goes to who's come out of the gay lifestyle and is, gone to seminary and has a doctorate and writes books on how to interact and how to win over uh, people that might not agree with with us on this issue um how did you how did you go from from prison to where you are now i mean <laughs> it's that's only been 22 years now yeah uh, how, how did it would this seem happen? so fast but yes yeah. uh I, you know th- this is the funny thing frank i when I was called to ministry toward the, like the last year of, of, of prison, I, I ended up, I got six years and I actually, my sentence was shortened, which is in and of itself a miracle. The federal, the federal system, they don't, they don't play. You know, you got to do 85% of your time. You don't do 50% like all other states. Um, and they don't shorten sentences. It, it really was a miracle. Um, so I ended up with three years, which 85% of your time is two years and about nine months, eight months. And, um, but I didn't know. All I knew was I love the Lord. I, and also as being an ex-felon, it's probably going to be hard to get a regular job. And I thought, I want to, I want to keep doing what I've been doing in prison, which was, you know, proclaim the gospel, lead these Bible studies, preach. So I didn't know at all what I was going to do, Frank. I thought at first it was going to be one of three things. It was going to be either prison ministry, AIDS ministry, and maybe as a last resort, speak on sexuality, because that's too hard of a ministry. Mm. And God, through his serendipitous ways, uh, made it apparent that this is what he's called me to do. And, and that was you know just through my time at Moody and then seminary and and what i saw kind of missing and you know there's a lot of other people speaking on on sexuality i i think a lot you know was approaching this more from a therapeutic and kind of counseling psychology and i think that those are important things biblical counseling um but i really hadn't met anyone who was a theologian with my background, a Bible scholar. So at Moody, I was able to take, and in seminary, I took four years of Hebrew, four years of Greek, uh, theology. Um, and that's, you know, my book was is essentially a theology of sexuality. Um, my, my subtitle, and Frank, maybe you'll laugh at this, you know, is Sex, Design, Relationship Shaped by God's Grand Story, which mm. my, the video series is based off of. But initially, what I wanted the subtitle to be was Sex, Design, Relationship Shaped by Biblical and Systematic Theology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my publicist mm-hmm. uh, and, and you know publisher shot that down. I don't know why. They said, you know, <laughs> you want people to buy in. I thought I would buy it. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> well, it is a go-to book, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel. What does the Holy Sexuality Project 
give that the book doesn't? Because it's a video curriculum. Yes. I've watched some of the videos already. What what does it do and who's it for? Well, you know, Holy Street Rally the Gospel, uh, it was named 2020 Book of the Year for Social Issues by Outreach Magazine. And I wrote that really for parents, adults, young adults, college students to not only understand about biblical sexuality, which sometimes we give part of the, you know, the equation, which is don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. But Frank, we can't build a Christian life just on God's no. We need God's yes. That's right. And that's having a robust theology of sexuality. God's yes and God's no. But, you know, that book was, it's deep, 200 some pages. A teenager is not going to read that. And I bemoan the fact that teenagers aren't reading enough. But I thought, what's the main medium that teenagers and preteens are just devouring videos? Mm -hmm. So I thought, can I use, and I, can I turn this into primarily a video resource? Of course, along with a, there's a parent guide and discussion guide, and, and, and we call it almost like a grandparent guide as well for grandparents too, to help them to walk through. So that's the focus. It's based on the book, t uh, 12 Lessons, but actually three of those lessons aren't in the book. In the three, four years that I've written this, there's a lot of issues that have come up like gender. I didn't really touch on that too much in the book. I did a little bit, but I have a whole lesson on gender or, you know, the, the, the secular new redefinition of what gender is and helping us to understand how do we understand this new, new kind of false subjective concept of gender. Um, and also I talk about what's the big deal. We hear that a lot from, from teenagers. Right. Why, why is God so concerned about what I do in my bedroom? So I answer that question, lesson eight. And the lesson 10, um, I'm sorry, lesson nine, I actually discuss some of the myths about homosexuality. David and Jonathan, Jesus' silence, you know, not, you know, the word homosexual was wrongly inserted in the Bible, in the English why, Bible. Why don't, you, why don't you cover just a couple of those here? Yeah. A couple yeah, of those sure. myths right sure. now. Sure. I mean, it, it, there's so... Uh, with lesson nine, which is the longest lesson, each lesson has three videos, uh, a teaching, two teaching videos, and then a wrap-up video. So each teaching video is about 10 minutes. The wrap-up video is about two or three minutes. So each video, 20, 23 minutes of video content, and then there's about another 20 minutes of discussion that is rooted in the discussion guide that the parents will do that. That is the longest one. That is probably, maybe I have to look again, but I think it's almost 30 minutes of video content. Mm -hmm. So we always warn people, prepare for, you know, and, and parents prepare for more time for that one. But I dig into, you know, for example, David and Jonathan, you know, uh, are gay, they, they will say, the world says. And I walk through how do we interpret the Bible well? As, as your watchers and listeners know, context is king. But here's the thing, a lot of times we don't sometimes, lady, don't sometimes realize that there are different aspects of context. For example, there is literary context, looking at kind of the verses and the chapters around. There is also historical context that isn't then looking at the verses around it. It's actually looking at, well, when was this book written and who was the author? What was the author dealing with? What was the audience dealing with? That's historical context. But the third one is often missed and it's canonical context. So in other words, when I read this verse, I'm reading it in light of all 
of the whole Bible, all 66 books of the Bible, not just that one book that, that that we find this first in, but looking at it in reading it in light of Genesis, in light of Revelation, in light of Acts, in light of Malachi, Isaiah, etc. The whole Bible, because Scripture interprets Scripture. Scripture affirms Scripture. And this, I think, is one of the main things that people who twist scripture, they don't do. I have not met a single revisionist that actually reads the Bible canonically. So putting in light of that, for example, David and Jonathan, and I show, you know, how, you know, first of all, I mean, we've distorted love so much. And, and we look at all the examples, you know, of, of David and Jonathan, and we see that actually, you know, yes, Jonathan, you know, said he, he loved David. Well, also King Hiram said that he loved David. Love does not equal Wait sex. Wait a minute. David had two biblical male lovers? Is that what you're saying <laughs> <Right>. now, Christopher? <laughs> so it's very common for people in power to actually express their love for mm -hmm. one another as a way of saying, we are allies and I love you and there's nothing sexual about it. Right. Also, you know, a lot of times people will capitalize or, or pounce on the fact that Jonathan gave his robe to uh, David. Well, we need to understand what that means. First of all, I kind of jokingly say there's something in the in the Old Testament that they did that maybe we don't get today and it's called layering. <laughs> you know, just because he took his robe off doesn't mean that he was naked underneath. He mm -hmm. wore lots of layers. What's the significance of this robe in light of historical context? Well, Jonathan was next in heir to Saul, who was king. And he, his robe wasn't just any other robe equivalent to any other people's, any other person's robe. His robe represented his power. His robe represented royalty. And specifically, his robe represented that he was next in heir to the king of Israel by him taking it off. And if we also read it in literary context, he gave his sword. What, what does it mean when a warrior gives his sword to anyone so warriors don't even give it to their wives it's a representation of i am submission to you and i'm in fealty to you and then even more when he gives his robe that's essentially saying i'm supposed to be king next but by me handing over this my royal robes to you i'm representing that not only am i in submission to you but I am loyal to you, but I know that you are to be king next. So that it's very, very representative of that whole thing. Nothing sexual about it. So that's one example. Um, even Jesus' silence. You know, I talk about, well, Jesus was also, that, that's a, when we make that the argument, you know, as you know, Frank, the logical fallacies, that's an mm -hmm. argument from science. Sure. If we use that, we could say that Jesus was okay with a lot of other things, bestiality and incest, etc. Right. I don't actually think he was silent. We can talk about that right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turk, my guest today, Dr. Christopher Yuan. His book, Holy Sexuality in the Gospel, now is a great video curriculum that goes with it. We'll tell you how to get it right after the break. Don't go anywhere. We're back in just two minutes. If there is a good God, why is there evil? Doesn't science disprove God? And isn't God immoral? I mean, why is he why is he against same-sex relationships? Why did he kill the Canaanites in the Old Testament? What's the deal with God? 
Well, if you think any of those are arguments against God, you're actually stealing from God to argue against him. And we have a brand new, well, we're running it for the first time in a while. It's a, it's a course we've run before, but it's stealing from God. Why atheists need God to make their case. I'll be your instructor. It begins, I think, August 14th. Go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. You'll see it there. We have about 20 or 25 other courses that you can take in a self-paced way. So check all that out, all that out on our website, crossexamine.org, click on online courses. We also have a, a course in logic coming up. We have a course on personality differences. Why can't you be normal just like me? We have a, a bunch coming up in the fall, so check it all out. But let me go back to my guest, Christopher Yuan. And uh, we were just talking a little bit about what Jesus said or didn't say about homosexuality. Before we go back to that, Christopher, I know people come in and out of this show and they, especially on radio, they might not hear the whole show. How do people get the new Holy Sexuality video curriculum, the Holy Sexuality Project? Yeah, so uh, my speaking ministry website is just ChristopherYuan.com, but we're housing this uh, the the Holy Sexuality Project on HolySexuality.com, so they can you can go there HolySexuality.com. Uh, this was a huge endeavor. It took three years. We had a team of thirty six professional illustrators, animators, sound engineers, um, and it really is essentially a one point two million dollar project. That of course, by God's grace, we got a much discounted price to do. But a projects like this is is easily two hundred, three hundred dollars per two year license. We have donors that said we so desperately want every parent of every teen, whether they're a homeschool parent, whether they're a grandparent with kids with limited budgets, to be able to afford this. So actually, it's just twenty dollars for a limited time, and so anyone there should be no hindrance. Again, this the, it's really two hundred to three hundred dollars. The quality is really top top notch. Uh, we have animators that did stuff for the Bible Project, so really really good good stuff. But it's just available there. Just um, and go there, holysexuality.com to get your you know two year license, and it's all the videos there. The parent guide are all available there. All right, friends, listen to something I'm about to say right now because I think it's important. A lot of people, when they see the price of a course at twenty dollars, think it's not worth it. Okay. Don't be that person here. The reason it's $20 is because other people have donated to pay for it. Yes. All right. I've actually seen some of these videos. You're going to love this course. So take advantage of the fact that people have donated money to this $1.2 million project so you could get it for $20. If you're a parent, a grandparent, or you're just a young person and you want to delve into this for yourself, I hope you yep. do. Go to holysexuality.com and you will not be disappointed. This is gonna help you answer so many questions that our culture lobs at you and diffuse a lot of the propaganda and refute a lot of the propaganda that you hear in our culture. So go to holysexuality.com and get it. Christopher, let's go back to what we were talking about before. Uh, you were pointing out it's a myth that Jesus was silent on homosexuality, that that's somehow an argument for homosexual practice. Pick it up right there. Yeah, so, uh, you know, obviously th that's an argument from silence. So, mm -hmm. you know, in the videos, I kind of break it down, you know, not just, you know, making one argument, but I kind of break it down. I mean, that's consistent across the board. But, you know, as we were just chatting during the break, exactly, Jesus actually was not silent in many ways. You know, when he talked about 
sexual immorality, the, the Greek word porneia, which uh, obviously sounds a lot like pornography. That's where we get that root, uh, that word, the root from the Greek word porneia, sexual immorality. And in the Greco-Roman world and in the time of first century Israel, porneia covered every form of sexual relationship outside of man, woman, and marriage. Where we get then man, woman, and marriage. So, I, I, you know, the what I believe as the strongest, strongest apologetic for why marriage is between a man and a woman comes right from the words of Jesus, where he says in Matthew 19 and Mark chapter 10, he was questioned by the Pharisees where they're asking about divorce and Jesus, and they're quibbling over the law, right? Well, what did Moses say? Moses said this, he gave it a certificate of divorce, etc. Jesus knew all their arguments. I mean, he's God and he's like, I'm not even, I'm not going to get into your own quibbling there. I'm not even even going to mention the law. I'm going to even go to something that's way more foundational than the law, and that's creation. Jesus quotes from Genesis 1, 27, and then Genesis 2, 24, where Jesus says, God made them male and female. That's Genesis 1, 27. As a matter of fact, that's the image of God verse. And then he said, and the two shall become one flesh. That's going to the next chapter, Genesis 2, 24. What, and then Jesus adds, being God, he can do this. What God has put together, let man not separate. So Jesus was not only answering the question of divorce, he was also schooling them on the definition of marriage. Now, I also hear other people that said, you know what? Jesus was only asked about divorce. We should not read more into this. This is such a such bad logic because Jesus is never constrained by the questioner. For example, should we pay taxes? You know, show me a coin. Give, you know, what's whose inscription is on it on this coin? Give to Caesar's what is Caesar's, give to God what is God. Jesus in many cases diverts it to the more important question, as he was doing here, of not only schooling the Pharisees on why divorce is wrong, but he was schooling them on the definition of marriage. And then even more so, we need to realize just this is just simple Christianity, the doctrine of Christianity. Jesus is the second person of the Godhead. He is, as we often will say, the living word. Thus, we call the Bible God's word. Any word that comes out of the Bible, old or the new, doesn't even have to be read, is equivalent to saying that those are Jesus's words. So the whole kind of Jesus's silence argument really completely falls apart when you have actually just a basic, you know, the, the basic doctrines of Christianity, the inspiration of the Bible. This is God's word and Jesus is the living word. We're talking to Dr. Christopher Yuan, the Holy Sexuality Project, holysexuality.com. Uh, go check it out there. But Christopher, what if someone were to say to you, but why would God be against same-sex relationships? People just want to love one another. It doesn't hurt anyone. Well, you know, this is where we, few things, we in essence put ourselves in God as if we are the determiner for it is right or wrong. That's one. Also, then we think that hurt is only something that we can measure from our limited understanding from what we see in this point in time that that isn't causing harm. If we can 
use that same argument. Well, this doesn't look harmful to me. That's, that's in essence what people are saying. It doesn't look harmful to me. Are we seeing the whole picture? Of course not. Furthermore, are we seeing the eternal picture? Idolatry. I have many friends who are Hindus. Nice, nice people. They're not hurting anyone. If the Bible, if we were to look Old Testament and New Testament, if we were to just to pick out two of the biggest most mentioned sins in the Bible, two things, idolatry and sexual immorality. Let's, we're talking about sexual immorality, but let's just set this aside just for a moment. Idolatry. You can't, I don't think anyone who actually holds to the Bible could get around the fact that the Bible very clearly, the biblical writers were condemning idolatry. Well, who do we know today that are idol worshipers? You know, you know, very few anymore. I mean, we, well, we all are actually idol worshipers, but, you know, we're not worshiping idols put on a shelf, you know, for mm-hmm. example, like Hindus. Um, Hindu people, I know many of you, they're very, very nice people. They're not harming anyone. What harm is it? And many of my friends who are Chinese, my parents' friends, worship Buddha. They have Buddha on their, you know, mantle. They go to the temple, burn incense. They're not hurting anyone. So with that definition, Nothing wrong with idolatry, but that's only because we are limited in our understanding and we actually don't see the whole picture and see how harmful it is in the long run, eternally separated from God. You couldn't get more harmful than that. Mm -hmm. And so when we understand it in that way and also asking the question, is harm at least our view of whether it causes harm really the way to determine whether someone is something is right or wrong incest is you know what's a brother and a sister in a sexual relationship what harm is there of course we can say well if they have children well then that their children could have genetic deformities etc so let's just say we were the 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 they were to sterilize themselves. Um, so would that then make it right? Then that wouldn't be any visual, visual harm. So we can go down the line. White lies, there's no harm that we see. But from the eternal perspective, there is harm. As a matter of fact, by allowing people to still be in sin isn't loving at all. But it's hate because we're not we're not like Ezekiel warning people of the harm of sin, whether we see that harm or not. And uh, nobody ever wants to talk about this because it's so politically incorrect, but particularly male homosexuality is harmful physically, yes. medically. Yes. That's what the evidence shows. And nobody yeah. wants to talk about that. We get it. And, and nature, that's not, you know, na- nature, that was not according to how those organs are meant to work. Right. I mean, as any gay men, they they need. Uh, it's not naturally made that way. Women and mm-hmm. men, uh, when they for intimacy, uh, it works. But right. for that, there has to be additions, and and you know, it, it just things don't fit. But we we go by what feels natural to us, and to be honest, sin feels natural to a sinner <laughs> mm. you know it and so are we going to bo- go by what feels natural to us or are we going to go by what is according to god's created order and as sinners sometimes going being holy doesn't sometimes 
feel very natural, a distortion of what Paul was talking about, but natural in Romans 1 is really against God's created order. So yes, it is very harmful. There there are um, things that, that can really go very, very wrong. And even with women relationships, though there's not the physical harm that we see, but in most lesbian relationships, we see a lot of, and this is how women and men are wired differently, Praise the Lord, right? I mean, praise, we, we can say on this show, Frank, right, that women and men are different. Yes. But even in these relationships, there is a lot of codependency and emotional bondage that they have in these relationships. And we know what women and men are on this show. And we're going to pick the conversation up right after the break. We'll talk a little bit about the overall purpose of sex. What What is God's purpose for it other than procreation? Or is that the only purpose? Much more after the break with me, Frank Turk, and my guest, Christopher Yuhan. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. This is not just a radio program. It's also a podcast. And on Tuesday, we're actually going to have a gay man on the show by the name of Dave Rubin. Some of you may know Dave Rubin. He uh, has something called the Rubin Report. Uh, He's mostly politically conservative, but of course he believes in same-sex marriage. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And I'm going to ask Dave about whether he'd be open to Christianity. I was on Dave's show just a couple of weeks ago. You can go to his website, go to RubenReport.com. You can see that discussion. So we're going to have Dave on. We're not going to agree on everything. It's not going to be a debate. I'm going to let him talk uh, about what he wants to talk about. And just like he allowed me to talk about what I wanted to talk about on his show, and I'm sure he disagreed with some of the things I said, particularly about Christianity, Uh, So it's going to be an interesting discussion. It's not going to be on radio. You've got to go to the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast or YouTube channel, the Cross-Examined YouTube channel, to see it. It'll premiere Monday night, and it will be on the podcast on Tuesday. But we have a man today on the program that was in the gay lifestyle, Christopher Yuan, and has become a Christian and is one of the leaders on this holy sexuality. In fact, he coined the term holy sexuality and his new video curriculum holysexuality.com you can get it there for only $20 even though it's normally $300 and it's going to be taught not only in youth groups but primarily parents should bring this into the home and I'll let Christopher talk about that a little bit more in fact Christopher why do you think it has to be in the home not just in the youth group well I mean I, I think definitely youth pastors the church we need to teach the Bible teach about biblical sexuality that's so important and what I saw, though, and, 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 you know, that's maybe done once or twice a year or hopefully more than that because we're getting inundated. But what we see is something that will have lasting effect is not just doing it in, in youth group, et cetera, but actually equipping parents to do the job that God has ordained them to do. Deuteronomy 6, 7, you know, right after the great, great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, what are we supposed to do with that? Well, it says, teach this diligently to your children. And my question is, are we teaching biblical sexuality diligently to our kids? Because I'm going to tell you, Frank, who's doing it diligently? Mm-hmm. The world, yes. public schools, Disney, TikTok, right. and they're shutting it down. They're all doing it. They're all doing it. And, <laughs> then, and yeah. then what we're doing is 
you know, maybe just being silent or very rarely. And here's the thing. Parents are scared. I don't know where yeah. to start. There's this whole alphabet soup. Our kids are speaking a different language. I don't know what to say. And this is if we don't do it, most certainly the world will. So here's what's so encouraging parents and grandparents. All you need to know is how to press play. read the parent guide uh which you know read it to them which will have you know a paragraph to start off with a kickoff question then watch the teaching video and then we have four to maybe four to eight questions after each uh the first teaching video watch the second teaching video have some more discussion questions then watch the wrap-up video and then have some wrap-up questions that's it it's it really is so simple i can't because here's the thing Youth pastors, they're doing, it's a hard job, but a youth pastor doesn't replace the parent. A youth pastor isn't going to be with that child 24 hours a day, you know, throughout the week and even after high school. Frank, I mean, we know college, that's where these kids, they're being tested for their faith. And we have to equip them to know why you believe what you believe. And so this is one of those resources out there for that. Great. Now, in order to know, and by the way, holysexuality.com, that's where you get it. Um, In order to know whether a certain behavior is good or bad, you have to know the overall purpose of of the topic that you're talking about. So in order to say that, say, natural marriage is good and say any other kind of relationship is bad, you have to know what is God's purpose for sexuality? What is God's purpose? I mean, obviously it's for procreation. We know that, but yes. is there more to it than that? Christian? Oh, yes, very much. Thanks, Frank, for kind of teeing that off. So obviously, yes, sex, you know, it procreates. Through that come children. But there are other things that, you know, I, I, I lay it out there. Here's some other things, and I talk about six of them. First of all, sex in biblical marriage is good. It's God's idea. He created it. He blessed it. It's an exclusive gift between husband and wife. Second, it also, sex in biblical marriage, it consummates, brings together the two become one flesh. That That phrase, one flesh, is found out several times in the Old Testament and the New, and it's a term that's only reserved for husband and wife in marriage. And that's important. It's two, and it's male and female, not just two people. Jesus, Matthew 19, Mark chapter 10, which I mentioned in the, in our other segment, Jesus, you know, clearly talks about that this one flesh, it's not two men, two women, but a male and a female. Third, uh, sex and biblical marriage helps fulfill the creation mandate. Not just having children, but the creation mandate, Genesis 1.28, is be fruitful and multiply. Not only that, but have dominion. And uh, and so it's all not just uh, talking about having more babies, but it's also this sense of how God is calling us to steward creation through this relationship. And and that is all part of fulfilling the creation mandate. Fourth, sex and biblical marriage is a sign of the marriage covenant. This is really beautiful concept that sometimes we miss. You know, what throughout the Bible, there are covenants and there are signs to the covenant. God's covenant to Noah and all creation, the rainbow. Um, we have the new, in the New Testament, the new covenant. The sign of that is the is the bread and the wine. Well, is there a sign of the covenant um, for marriage? I believe that that actually the sign of the marriage covenant 
covenant is actually the two becoming one, sexual intimacy. So to think about every time a husband and wife come together in intimacy, it's recommitting to the covenant that the two of them have made to each other before God and before others. So there's this beautiful imagery of actually kind of recommitting to one another as they come together uh, in, in, in sexual intimacy. Fifth, sex and marriage is other-centered. Paul talked about this mm. in 1 Corinthians, that, that, you know, in 1 Corinthians 7, that the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. We need to pause there for a moment. That was radical. The husband doesn't owe anything to a wife, according to, that's what the first century thought. But Paul was flipping it around. People like to say Paul was a misogynist. Look, I mean, read here. Paul is even saying, husband, your body is not your own. No one said that in the first century. Paul was radical in showing that, husband, your wife, I mean, your body doesn't belong to you, husband. Wife, your body doesn't belong to you. It's you belong to each other. No one said that. Yeah, um, because, and, a, a, because a husband could have sex with whoever he wanted to in that culture. In that culture. And, and so what you're saying is Paul made it so much better for women because women <laughs> were supposed to be loyal to men, but men could hang out with anyone, including other men. But yep. Paul's and coming and saying, no, and man, you can't do that anymore. you got to be monogamous yep. just like your wife, right? Amen. Exactly. So it's really radical. And then the sixth one, lastly, uh, sex and biblical marriage gives glory to God. You know, our our lives, all that we do uh, gives glory to God. And even the two becoming one, uh, marriage, this, this, this beautiful institution, Paul says Ephesians 5 is a mystery that points to Christ and the body of Christ, the church. So all of this, actually, just as marriage is going to be fulfilled in glory, Matthew 22, that's what Jesus says, there's not going to be any marriage in heaven. Um, and, and this is the beauty of how marriage is going to be fulfilled in, on the last day. But so is, there's not going to be sex in marriage. If sex is only for marriage in heaven, there will actually not be sex. If there's no sex in heaven, there's not going to be any sexual desires in heaven. So sex and marriage, um, all of that is actually going to be fulfilled in Christ. And even our sexuality is going to be fulfilled and ultimately pointing to the ultimate glory of Christ and the church. The beauty as we look at everything in light of not only just how we live today, but but it's shaped by creation, fall, redemption, and ultimately consummation. That is our ultimate goal, and that's why it's so important and how through this lesson, I really wanted to point people to Christ. Sometimes these resources can sometimes focus on, on a lot of human effort. Don't do this, don't do that. And that's human right. effort, abstinence. I think that's important. But how are we even able to do this? It's the Holy Spirit that sanctifies us. Even some that are, even today, some resources that focus upon, kind of be nicer, you know, the, the gay community, they're oppressed, et cetera, which obviously is a very, it's the framework of, of critical theory, which is, you know, why are we borrowing from the world? We need to use a biblical framework. Jesus was not a victim. He rose victorious, even though he could have called himself a victim. And so same with us. Yeah, I it, wanted it, this to be really Christ-centered, not me-centered, but Christ-centered. In today's culture, it seems the opposite is true. It's the heterosexuals that are oppressed, given, I mean, we have Pride Month. I mean, right. there, there are military veterans. I'm one. My my sons are. Everyone 
in my family has been in the military and we get a day and One <laughs> this day. immoral sexual behavior gets a whole month of celebration month. in our country. What has happened to this? This is this is actual madness. And and I think people are starting to go, yeah, OK, enough of this. Come on. In, in any event, Christopher, there's so much great in this curriculum i highly recommend it for everyone in fact you have a whole section in there on singleness in fact i'm going to ask christopher about that um in the after video which if you want to see you've got to join the cross-examined community and you should want to join the cross-examined community because we can talk about all these issues behind a very nominal paywall so you don't get outed you don't get doxxed you don't get your employer showing uh, or seeing that you're a christian and now he's going to treat you improperly so join the cross-examined community to see this little video that Christopher and I are about to do here in a minute. Christopher, tell people again where they can get the curriculum. Yeah, so um, my my ministry website is ChristopherYuan.com, and I'm on socials, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Christopher Yuan. But the, the video series is HolySexuality.com. HolySexuality.com, trust me. $20, it's worth a lot more than that. People donated so you could get it for 20. Go there and get it. And I'll see you here on Tuesday with Dave Rubin. God bless.